The views and opinions expressed in this podcast are those of the hosts and guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and opinions of Olas Media or its sponsors. Welcome to From the Nest with Charity Jen. I'm your host, Jen Newmeyer. On this podcast, we have ca- casual conversations with folks in the nonprofit field, exploring the success and lessons learned of topics like volunteering and executive leadership. So I recently had a chance to chat with Liz Marafino Fiola, the Major Gifts Officer at Villanova University in Philadelphia. You'll get a chance to hear about her decision to enter into the major gifts field from a theater background and how she tapped into all sorts of networks and educational opportunities to advance her career. So stay with us. This is From the Nest with Charity Jen. So it's hard enough to get by in the world. On top of that, not being paid right by your employer and being cheated out of overtime, being cheated out of the hours that you work, it's not fair. And if you're going through that, it's important to seek help. At Summer Shorts, they've helped thousands of workers, just like you and me, to recover over $100 million of unpaid wages. Go to summerspc.com to sign up for a free case evaluation. And Liz, hello. I am so happy to have you on the show. Welcome. Thank you for being here with me today. Well, thanks for having me. This is really, I love podcasts, so I'm really excited to be invited to my first one. So thank you. Great, great. So I was thinking, Liz, let's, um, maybe we can go ahead and just start with um, a little bit of uh, an introduction to our audience. Um, Can you share some of your background and, and who is Liz? (laughs) Who is Liz? Um, So I am a professional fundraiser um, that has worn all kinds of hats, but right now I'm in major gifts at Villanova Law. Um, But my journey to fundraising was, I've learned is not an uncommon journey, is the performing arts into fundraising. So I went to school for performance studies and then stayed at Villanova and got a master's in theater. But when I was there, they had just started offering with their master's of public administration program, a um, certificate in nonprofit management. And through that, you had to take a fundraising class. And that is where I first got involved in fundraising. And so that's when I realized like, oh, this is how I can make a real living and give back to the things that I care about. Um, and so I, I learned kind of everything through a couple of different jobs and then realized, you know, major gifts is where I want to want to be for at least now in my career. And so that's that's what I do. And what I love about that, and I think is going to be probably a theme throughout the show, and we know it's a theme in the nonprofit world, is that there's so many of us that sort of stumbled into fundraising that didn't yes. really, you know, sort of uh, say, I'm going to be a fundraiser when I grow up, you know, and here is another kind of example of, you know, pursuing a different path and then getting pulled into the wonderful world of fundraising. <laughs> oh, Absolutely. Yeah. So um, I would love to talk a little bit about you and I met um, uh, through the AFP, which is the Association of Fundraising Professionals, um, it's a global um, organization, membership organization for nonprofit prof- uh, professionals. And there are chapters all across the country. And we met um, serving on the board of the Greater Philadelphia chapter. 
Because I think like the very first time I met you, I had just moved to Philly and I joined a YoPro. Um, well, it was the pandemic, so we were all virtual, and it was right. like a YoPro. <laughs> it was a YoPro group, and everybody was cooking. And <laughs> oh yeah, I remember that. <laughs> yes. <laughs> And it was just, uh, it was, there was such great energy with that group. And I wonder if you can just kind of like share sort of that journey of how you got involved with it, you know, AFP mm -hmm. and the influence of the YoPro. And I think you were even chair, you had said before, um, of that group as well. Yes, for about a year when it first got started. Um, so I got into AFP because I'm, you know, I joke that like I'm the Hermione Granger from Harry Potter. Like if I'm doing something, I'm going to find out if there are professional organizations, are there books, are there blogs I should read, that kind of thing. And when I took the fundraising class, um, Robbie Healy taught it and she has been involved in many different levels of leadership with AFP. And she's like, you got to join AFP. So I joined and I started going to programming. And at the time, um, uh, a woman named Marcy was I'm blanking on her last name. I'm so sorry, Marcy, if you're listening to this podcast, but Marcy's great. Um, uh, pulled me in because um, I had come to a few things because there was a mix at the time of educational opportunities and then just general networking hangouts. Um, she was like, hey, you come to a lot of things. You seem like you want to do stuff. Do you want to co-chair this new committee with me? And so we did. And we, we built out a full set of programming that kind of would be for people getting into it again like you said people often fall into fundraising and we kind of wanted to be a resource for people who were just getting started um, because that way we could have education events that were tailored to the beginners and then also we could network with each other to figure out how we could help each other as we level up mm -hmm. and it was great it was a great experience for a year but then after the one year i decided to go back to grad school and i just knew at that point i couldn't do both. So I stepped down and um, then I got involved again with um, AFP. I, I had gone to things in the interim, um, but a few years passed and then lockdown happened with COVID and I had just had a baby. So I was also on maternity leave and oh I was, I had time to fill and we all didn't know what was going to happen. And at that point I knew I was going to start looking for a new job um, just because I wanted to learn major gifts and my position I was in didn't have that kind of opportunity. Um, and so I was like, I should, I should re-engage. And then that's how I, I started back with young professionals because I still knew those people. And I think it's now called Emerging Leaders. Mm -hmm. um, mm -hmm. they, they've rebranded since. Um, and then I got pulled in to other committees, uh, just the general education and professional development committee. And now I'm running their conference and I'm the co-vice president of external affairs. So it's, it's been a journey since, but it's been very rewarding. Yeah. Yeah. Talk a little bit about some of like, <clears throat> maybe the top few, um, like nuggets of, uh, knowledge that, uh, you would say really helped with your nonprofit journey or, uh, you know, I, I know you had said that you were interested in major gifts. Like how did all of this involve, um, involvement, all of the involvement that you had, how did that really contribute to sort of your, your path and your journey? Well, uh, you mean with AFP specifically or then to the career? Yeah, I mean, I would say both. I mean, I mm -hmm. what I love hearing about from the AFP standpoint is that I do think that, 
you know, um, getting involved with uh, groups such as the AFP or other groups. When I was in um, Raleigh, we had the Young Nonprofit Professionals mm-hmm. Network. We had the American Marketing Association, you know, <laughs> and I think there's always so much that can be learned and all of the benefit of networking with other professionals. But I think just also, so I, I would love to hear about that, but just also <laughs> like in general, like, you know, like how, like, if you were to give advice to, you know, others, what kinds of, what kinds of takeaways you had just from that experience, those experiences? Well, going back to the, uh, you know, always throwing yourself fully at the thing is I, I find that engaging with anything that's related to your profession, whether it's a networking group or it's, um, educating yourself or reading a book about whatever you're into, um, it helps you stay fresh you know, it doesn't always necessarily change things, but I always try to walk away with something saying like, what was the main takeaway that's going to change something for me? Or I could use tomorrow if I don't want to get that big. Um, and so that's always been one of the biggest things is like, it's, it always keeps you on your toes. And, um, cause there are things now that I'm, I've been doing major gifts now for almost three years that I'm looking at, I found an old notebook the other day and I was like, oh yeah, I, I forgot about that one little point about how to do deep listening. So it's just that, yes. that from a basic <laughs> practical standpoint is really helpful. But, um, and then also you just, it, it pays off to get to know people, um, especially when you're looking for another job or just trying to develop as a leader. I'm in a women's leadership program right now. And that's, it's, you you start to see like all this investment you've put into yourself whenever you need something. Like I, again, for like looking for another job or for this conference that I'm planning, I suddenly realized I had all these people around me or I knew where to go for things. Like, and you may feel like overwhelmed or, or like, why is this matter? But it does pay off over time to just kind of fully put your brain in that space. Um, Cause now I feel like people come to me for things and I never thought I'd be that person this at this stage in my career. I thought I'd have to wait like another 10 years for something like that. So, um, yes, I love that you also brought up conferences, um, because I, um, I was actually just talking to, uh, someone last week about, you know, like, Oh, where do I, where do I go for, you know, how, how can I learn more about a particular topic, you know, within, um, fundraising and, um, or, you know, how, how can I like, you know, expand, you know, uh, you know, what I know about my job or, or learn more about other areas of fundraising. And I have found conferences to be so valuable because you have, you not only have the opportunity to network and I am such a big proponent of networking. I just cannot, Mm -hmm. you know, like that is like my number one, uh, sort of piece of advice to people who are looking to advance in the career. But, um, at conferences, there are so many different topics, you know, um, I think early in my career, I would go to a lot of digital fundraising, um, sessions when I would go to a conference and that, you know, I would go through the whole thing and just sort of pick, pick, pick them out. But after a while I was like, Hmm, you know, I know a lot about those topics. Let me expand and go to something completely different. And I just really changed my sort of, um, approach to that. And it was really so fascinating to learn about, you know, the strategies. There are different strategies for different kinds of fundraising. You know, you're, 
fundraising completely differently for a capital campaign than you are for major gifts and you are for annual fundraising. And um, so I love that too. Do you, do you find uh, that similar experience when you go to conferences? Like, do you have like a conference approach? (laughs) Um, I, yeah, I try to find the things that I'm most drawn to because I know I'll, I'll be more focused. I think social media has made me a very bad and grad school both have made me not a deep reader and a deep paying <laughs> attention because you're, you're just going 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 um so i uh, i obviously i go to that but um yeah no i what i like about any fundraising conference is yes something that is usually a particular sticking point i'll look for that at a conference like for me when it was switching into major gifts i think i went i went to afp icon and um virtually and I just went to everything major gifts just to immerse myself completely. But then at the conference last year that I helped plan, I picked out some other things about leadership or about um, diversity that I kind of just were sticking points somewhere in what I was doing. And I was like, oh, well, what are their thoughts on it? Um, but I, what I like about conferences is how like refreshed you feel at the end of the day. Like, you know, you're like, you're like, oh, I'm energized. I'm going to go out and like conquer the world. Um <laughs> Kind of like a retreat, like you go on a retreat yeah. or you some sort of experience where you go away for a while and you come back, you feel like a renewed. Yes. And, and you come back with a whole pile of notes yes. <laughs> that, that you try to, that you try to organize. Well, since we're on the topic of education, because I also feel really strongly about um, this recommendation. Let's talk a little bit about the CFRE. Mm-hmm. So um, this is the Certified Fundraising Executive Certificate that's offered by CFRE International. And um, it, is a, uh, it is a self-study um, sort of um, program. Uh, there are, you know, groups that, you know, study groups and, the, and that kind of thing that meet. Uh, but there's sort of um, recommended reading list and you read mm-hmm. up on all of these different topics and then you take this big, huge test. <laughs> and if you pass, you're certified. And so uh, I went through the CFRE a couple of years ago and you also uh, got your CFRE. So talk a little bit about, um, about your experience uh, going through that whole process. Well, I think what the thing that people always come to me with the process um, is, should I get it or not? And I yeah. just want to start there of saying, because I think there's a debate. Some people, I've run into people who have said, oh, well, experience is more important than a credential. But until you don't, then suddenly you meet someone who's your hiring manager and they're like, oh my gosh, you have a CFRE or you have whatever over here. So I, I do think if there's, if either you have, the means to pay for it and it's not going to hurt you or you can find somebody who will cover it absolutely it does not hurt to go get it especially because with cfre it's not a like a big time investment you can like you know do serious study for about like two months and then take the test and you're done it's not like a master's degree where you have to invest two years of your life um but yeah the process is if anyone out there is thinking about getting it i think it can be overwhelming that there isn't just like this is what you need to learn you kind of, they want you to kind of learn through osmosis and general best practices. And so I, I always recommend checking out Achieving Excellence in Fundraising, whatever. The, I think they're on the fifth edition as of last spring. Yeah, um, 
that's pretty comprehensive and kind of gets you everywhere. But then learning how the questions are structured on the test. So I recommend getting the practice test pass that you can get through CFRE because that teaches you how to understand the questions. Not that those questions will be on the test, but questions like that will be on the test and, and how you can kind of game it. Because like any standardized test, you learn you do well on the test by learning how to take the test well, not necessarily the content, but the content is good because the content is best practices that you kind of always need refreshing on. Or as you get further along in your career, you can kind of speak to and say like, oh, well, that's not actually what it is, but it is nice to see this other like standardized viewpoint. And because it might come in handy, you don't know when it will. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And I think that the difficult or curious thing about that test is that um, each of the questions um, have four, it's multiple choice. There are four answers and three of the four answers could actually be the right. answer. <laughs> so you have to choose the most, uh, you know, plausible um, or uh, the, the mo you know, sort of like the most um, applicable of the four choices. So that's right. where it can get really tricky. <laughs> right. And and if you check out, there's a great guy named Jack Alato who his, his information's on CFRE's website, and he will run every quarter of the year, like these six-week review sessions where he teaches you how to like pick out the, there's always two that are clearly not correct. And then, then how do you decide between the top two, like which one is the actual one they're looking for, not necessarily what you would do. I also, pro tip, I was teaching a CFRE refresher course and, um, Somebody didn't realize that she had taken the test and failed, and she didn't realize that the term volunteer meant leadership volunteers, meant like board oh. members and like high-level donor volunteers for galas and things. She thought it just meant like any kind of volunteer. So she was like that she completely failed the section. She didn't know why. And then <laughs> she came to the class and went, oh, I would have passed the <laughs> test if I had just known that. <laughs> yes. <laughs> yes. And I think that it's interesting that you say that because there is benefit in going to a variety of sources, because mm -hmm. I also heard someone who just repeatedly took that practice test. And that was the only uh, form of study that they had before they went and took the test and they failed it. <laughs> yeah, that that is not that those questions are not the same. And I remember when I went in, I um I freaked out because the first like 20 questions felt so different from those questions or like anything else that I had seen, but I breathe. And like the strategy really is, I think you have three hours, three or four hours to take the test. Yeah. I can't remember. I think it's like four hours. I was to yeah. go through everything as quickly as possible because you can flag the questions you're not sure about. So just move on. If you just feel that anxiety, like flag the question, move to the next one. And then you go back and check the ones that you flagged. And that ended up, I think I finished it in two and a half hours or yeah. some, something because I, I that was like an efficient way to do it. But I also like, I, oh my gosh, I was such a nerd. I like made sure like the night before everything had been done, all my food was set out. I had a playlist in the car ready for me to like pump me up because I had been out of school and hadn't like, I did grad school, but we didn't like a few years before, but we didn't have tests. So I was like, how do you do standardized tests again like how does this work and I yeah like I had like the healthiest breakfast but not too much food so I didn't get tired and and mm -hmm. I like mapped out on Google Maps where I was going so that way I didn't even have to think about it and and even checking the ways to make sure there wasn't traffic building up and that was good <laughs> because I got to the center and because it's not only for CFRE tests it's for any kind of test that I think is it Pearson 
Pearson administrate or somebody. Yeah. I can't remember the administrate. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, and the person there like just didn't know specifics. And I knew I was supposed to be able to get up to the, go to the bathroom if I raised my hand, but like he didn't come in the room to let me do that. So like, <gasps> just know that like that, those kind of weird things might happen. Um, cause some people, some people who are taking the tests in the room can't do that. Depends on the test. Like somebody next to me was doing a nursing test. Someone next to me was doing an engineering test. So there's a chance that the person is not trained on your test and don't let it mess with your head too much. And just try to just remove all distractions and then pump yourself up with whatever song you, you need for me. It's don't stop me now by queen. Um, (laughs) That one gets me it. so hyper, like hyped up. I'm ready to go. <laughs> yes. So, yeah. Yeah. It was, it was the same exact experience for me that I was the only one taking the CFRE test. There were other people there taking other ones. Um, and I think that there's also, it's important to sort of just like you, like you had said, breathe, but also to be flexible and understand that it's not all going to be perfect when you get there. Mm -hmm. So I had read on the, um, you know, they give you lots of, you know, um, guidelines or, you know, um, instructions, you know, for, you know, test day. And I think they said something like, don't take water. You cannot take a bottle of water with you in the testing thing or whatever. So I was like, okay, no water. But, um, it was, it was the middle of the pandemic and the community college where I went to take the test, they had all of the water fountains taped off because of COVID. (laughs) So I was like, wait, I'm going to be in this room for four hours and have no water. And she was like, oh, well, maybe you can use my cup. I'll go and get some water for you if you get thirsty. (laughs) Oh my gosh. (laughs) Yeah, this is crazy. (laughs) Oh my gosh. But Yes. Okay. So I, I love that. I think that, yes, the debate about the CFRE, I mean, everyone's different. It's going Mm -hmm. to, like, I told someone, like, if you're a development director with an organization, you have no plans on leaving, you're happy, you love your job, you know, I mean, there's really no reason, you know, for you to take the CFRE other than if you're just curious and you want to learn more. Mm -hmm. But, um, you know, if you are looking at career change, if you're looking at doing new things, writing a book, doing a podcast, like like it might be helpful. So um, I have found that since I've gotten my CFRE that, that, um, you know, I have a lot more um, requests for speaking engagements, webinars, those kinds of things. So yeah. So it's been really, it's been really good. Yeah. When I have noticed um, I'm on a very big team at Villanova and I'm one of, I think two people who has it in the whole team and she got it after I think, but they, everyone comes to me and asks me all kinds of questions about it. And I've become like this resource, like you're saying, like people come to you asking about it. Mm Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. What I loved about it was, you know, I'm more on the annual fundraising side. So uh, digital fundraising, um, you know, working in direct mail, working in telemarketing, you know, those kinds of, you know, sort of the foundation of the giving pyramid. And the CFRE um, really dives a lot into capital campaigns, major giving, um, planned giving. And so it was a great learning experience for me to, you know, become familiar with all of those different disciplines. So, um, I thought it was, for me, it was fantastic. 
Do you think, Liz, that um, like now I want to kind of transition into your experience as a major gift officer and sort of going sure. through that journey and, you know, um, where you started and how uh, I, I, I remember talking with you about um, it was when you had transitioned to a new role at the college before Villanova. And you were talking about um, your experience of getting to know your donors and working within major gifts and how fulfilling that was. Like, I would just love to hear a little bit about, about, about that, about your major gifts journey. Right. So um, it was very, definitely a very practical money reason was, was the reason, but like in a twofold way. So, you know, if you want to make a really nice living in fundraising, that's very sustainable for a nice middle-class income and daycare. I had just become a mom. So daycare was very expensive. Even the cheap daycares are expensive. So um, I knew, you know, this is probably the right move right now because I could, I could make that. But then also that's, you know, my experience at the time had showed me that's where a lot of transformational change can happen. It's a, every facet of fundraising is huge, but if you know, no matter what you do, like, I don't know if I'm always going to stay in fundraising per se. I, I have a goal of potentially moving into anywhere in the C-suite at some sort of nonprofit. Um, you're going to have to know how to talk about major gifts and how to talk yeah. to, to um, philanthropists, major donors at, at that kind of level. So it definitely wasn't the wrong choice, you know, like for, for that, path. Um, and so I started looking for roles where I could really just focus on that. And it is really great. Like you were saying, like it teaches you things that I've always wanted to be able to really do, which is like slow down, listen to people, um, get to really know somebody by like doing the cascading questions or open-ended questions. Those were all these interpersonal skills that I just always felt like I wasn't the best at. And it was a chance to like, I felt my, I grew as a person through learning how to do major gift work. I found that my relationships with people and some of it was the lockdown was I was calling people either in networking or family. I don't think I've talked to my family more ever than in that first three months we were in like the hardcore lockdown. Um, and I just had the baby and they couldn't see the baby. So I was like, here's the baby. Um, <laughs> But like getting to that deeper level with people, because um, we all need, we all realized how much we needed that. And I even have now found now that my life, I'm back to as if, you know, the pandemic never happened in terms of how my day to day operates. It's harder to find those moments because now I'm back to doing my full time job, doing AFP things. I'm involved with a community theater nearby. And um, now I've taken on some mentorship things, both through work and through AFP. And realizing it's really hard to have those deeper, more intense things going on when you have all those plates spinning. So I'm definitely learning how to set more boundaries around that um, because I did, I learned that lesson in the pandemic, but in major gifts, that is what you're doing. You are, it's not about, it's how deep you can go rather than how much you can do. Yeah. Mm -hmm. So it's, that's the that's why you're sitting there with someone for an hour during lunch, having a deeper conversation though. I work with lawyers and they have billable hours. So they love a 30 minute zoom where they're like, yes, I went to Villanova law. This is my experience. Um, this is what I do for philanthropy. Um, yes, sure. I would love to give back to Villanova law. Great. Awesome. Bye. Thank you for your time. <laughs> Sometimes that's how it is, especially if they haven't reached partner level. They're like, I have this much time. <laughs> yes. So, <laughs> because <laughs> this is not money I can be making. So, um, 
but I, I like that balance on certain days because it can be very draining going on that level of sitting with somebody and, and really getting to know them. Um, and it, it, it makes you feel, I don't, it's made me feel less self-centered isn't the right word, but like, I, I don't ever feel like I was self-centered, but like, I, I just see more now of people because I'm not at all thinking about me in those moments. I'm learning how to have a conversation that's purely about the other person. And it's just a very rewarding experience. Yeah. I remember um, I went on a major gift visit with one of our major gift officers and we visited a woman who was at a retirement home and we had lunch with her. And you would have thought that she, that, that like, she was so honored to have us there for lunch. Like she, and she had written like, and her life was so fascinating. And she right. shared with a, like her whole life, like she wrote books. She was like Miss something, Miss Georgia, like way wow. back in the middle. I mean, it was incredible. And she was so excited to have us there. She was like giving us copies of her book. She was like, here, take these. These are for you. And um, it was so meaningful, I think that that visit and so i can understand why you would feel that way because i mean i had just i was just kind of a flat you know i just kind of joined you know in a way that you know i wasn't um i wasn't there to you know make an ask or put together a proposal or anything but um it was it was just very it, it was so delightful it was just such a delightful lunch <laughs> And well, and then the flip side can happen, but I've found like I had a guy who like wouldn't open up to me. He, he took we went out to coffee. He would not like any question I asked was like one or two words, and so I was like, "Great, well, let me tell you about what's happening at Villanova." But then everything I said was like, "Well, that doesn't matter. Rankings don't matter. This doesn't matter." Right. What? And I just. <laughs> I learned from Mike, but you learn in those moments, like, okay, well, this is part of the work and it's going to make you be a better leader or whatever you want, even a person in your life, because leadership is at every level. Um, you know, as a mom, I'm a leader, as a wife, I'm a leader, as a member of my community, my church, the theater, I do things that even if I'm not in a leadership position, I'm still leading. And those are opportunities to learn and like walking away and reminding yourself that's not about you. Like, I think that's the, one of the best things about the job is that like, if you ever have a bad interaction that makes you feel bad, you're like, Oh, well, you're just the entity. You're not necessarily you all the time. You, you mm. could, that's like a barrier I've created in my brain for myself to be like, I am Villanova in that moment. I'm not Liz. So that wasn't about me because <laughs> I can sometimes right. take it too personally. You were at a nonprofit. I mean, this is a, this is an unusual experience. Um, one that I had not heard of, but you were at an organization where there was a merger of two organizations and bringing together d the development departments. And that was very interesting, wasn't it? <laughs> yes. And I, I mean, one of the reasons I stayed, because so at that point I had realized I probably needed to start looking at whatever my next step was. I wasn't ready to really start looking at jobs. I think I had gone on a interview, but I, I wasn't really ready. Um, but I heard the merger was happening and I was like, well, this is going to be a very valuable experience, whether positive or negative to learn from. Um, and it, it was challenging because I mean, we came from different religious sects. I mean, they were both Protestant. They were both Protestant founded, but Presbyterian and one was Lutheran and, a lot of that was 
there were a lot of church organizations that were involved with us. And there were questions like, what does that mean for us? Even though like I'm a Catholic, so I was like, I don't, I don't know the difference. But I, <laughs> but then I had to learn that cultural competence, competency of like understanding the differences and how that might affect people. And I think I learned a lot about like different audiences and like how to serve our board as we transition. Because I think... Yeah, it ended up being kind of equal boards from both sides at the end of the day. Mm -hmm. um, but like on our team, a lot, I was the only full time staff member on our fundraising team at the time of the merger. And so I had to very quickly like figure out how to tell my boss, well, well this is the identity of who our donors are. This is our general overview. And this is what all the things we do. And then negotiate with her, like, how are we going to integrate the websites to message to all these different people. How are we going to, who are we, who do we really have to make sure that we're taking along with us? I mean, we want to take everyone along, but we knew that there were going to be some people who are like, well, I'm involved because I'm Presbyterian. Like, and now mm. are you Presbyterian still? And like, that's, right. you have to, at some point you have to say like, well, we're going to try, but you can't win everybody over. And I didn't stay long enough, honestly, to after all of this happened that I know what, came of all of that but it was a really valuable experience in in both like annual donor level all the way up to the board and like how people felt about that um challenges in leadership and how communication strategies and things like that it was it was very very stressful being the only full-time person but also being the lowest person on the hierarchy <laughs> because yeah. there just had been, there's been staffing shifts um some people had left and um and having to be like, oh, I guess I'm the person right now <laughs> and having to pick that up. But and, and, and it was really stressful because I I was finishing grad school and I didn't know this was happening. So in January, I had signed up for three classes because I figured, oh, I've been able to handle the load. This is fine. And then like a month in, my boss is gone. Uh, I'm the only full-time person on the team. And then the CEO comes in. He's like, so we're... Uh... <laughs> I have some news to share with you. And I, there was a day where I was so overwhelmed because we had a gala coming up in May and I had done the gala, I think two or three times before. So like, I knew what we had to do, but I had also taken on all these classes yes. and there was a day in April where I was so just burnt out and I hadn't learned a lot about like good boundaries and healthy things on how to manage this kind of situation that I had a choice to drive down to Penn from the suburbs where my classes were, or go on a hike. And I went on a three hour hike instead of going to my nonprofit law class. <laughs> and it yeah. was, it was very refreshing and I, I needed it. I did. I, I, I went to a local, you know, park and just did a nice, nice hike around for four miles. And I was like, that's what I needed. I just needed a reset. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And sometimes you do. And that's so important in nonprofit mm -hmm. work to, you know, have those, times where you can unplug and reset and let your mind, you know, just be free of all stress, all, all work stress and, um, and all of those issues. So I can, I can totally relate to that. And, and reminding yourself like, like, and then I did fine in the class and the gala went off swimmingly. So like, you know, just reminding yourself, like you can step away. You can all like none of nobody here is doing heart surgery. That's right. like such an important reminder about like this work that I tell younger people who I've seen have not learned how to set those boundaries for themselves is like, if you disappear for a day, it's okay. Like right. we can fix, we can fix it. <laughs> like right. whatever yes. happens and the chances are nothing's going to happen that needs to be fixed. So just take a breath, 
do what you need <laughs> to do for yourself and come back. So I definitely, I, you know, it's, it's a lot to go through a merger and, but I, and I love everyone, you know, having gone through the process, like it was hard, like looking back and reminding yourself, like, you don't see it when you're in it, but like when you're outside, you're like, oh, that's, that's a huge ask of like everybody. And so. right. Yes. Yes. Oh my <laughs> gosh. Yes. <laughs> so true. Well, we are close to time, uh, but I think that this is a perfect sort of segue into my last question that I have for you. Speaking of unplugging and unwinding, Liz, what <laughs> is your favorite thing to do on the weekends? Hmm. I guess it's, it's really like doing something incredible, just anything mindfully. So I've gotten in the habit of either it's like taking my son to the park and like my phone is notifications are off um, and just focusing on him or like I've started, I spoke earlier about how like grad school and social media has ruined my attention span. Um, (laughs) I've intentionally been taking time to like a book I'm reading, sit and slowly read it aloud with like music in the background that like goes with the book or like, and like a scent diffuser going so that I create kind of an atmosphere to be like, no, we are slowing down intentionally and doing anything and laundry too, like slowing down and doing a really mindful laundry fold instead of a very like, you know, shoulders up to your ears, get it done really fast while you have like a podcast playing or something else. Like, no, just breathe through it. You have, again, reminding yourself, you do have the time to get what you need done. You do, you might not feel it, but you do. And that is, that is really refreshing. Like I, that's what I did this weekend, uh, was visiting my grandparents with my son and my husband. And again, just mindfully helping with cooking and sitting around having long conversations about absolutely nothing while drinking a ton of wine and again just being present and again it's that with the major gifts it's coming back to those moments of being present and that for me is always refreshing no matter what the task is Mm -hmm. that is um amazing and i think i'm going to do just that very thing (laughs) this weekend (laughs) what do you what do you think you're gonna do (laughs) well um this weekend I'm supposed to go to a conference actually. So, uh, but the great thing is, yeah. Oh yes. I'm not going, but have fun. (laughs) Thank you. Thank you. So, um, I'm trying to, the great thing is of course, it's not like a work related conference. So I'm just going to go to like, you know, focus on the people who are there really have those deep, you know, networking, um, you know, conversations and just sort of trying not to over plan, um, I think is, uh, what I'm going to do. And then maybe taking your mindfulness. If I take a walk around new Orleans, I will fully, um, absorb the environment and enjoy it. So Liz, there have been um, so many great tips that you've given today, and I'm sure our audience would love to get in, t- in touch with you. How can they reach you? Can they reach you uh, social media or? Um, if you're in the yeah. Philadelphia area, please reach out to, um, yes, I'm under Elizabeth Marafino Fiola. Um, please, you know, reach out to AFP Philadelphia or me on LinkedIn. And I can connect you. We have, I spoke earlier about mentorship. We have a formal mentorship program that people can apply, apply for, but I've also just found a lot of informal mentors through networking. So, um, it's a really great resource if you're looking for people to talk to wherever you're based out of every city in the country, I think has one. Um, and then 
regional, like small regions, like Berks County, Pennsylvania has one. Um, Southern New Jersey has one. So, you know, just look up your region and you'll probably find something. That's great. Awesome. Thank you so much. You're welcome. Isn't Liz just amazing? She truly is a rising star. She's continually pushing herself to grow personally and professionally. And I just love how she strives to find balance in her family and her work life. So I hope you have enjoyed this episode. If you'd like more fundraising resources, visit my website at charitygen.com, where you can sign up for my monthly newsletter, access free guides, and learn more about my book, The Insider's Guide to Online Fundraising. This has been From the Nest, where fundraising takes flight. Thanks for listening. This episode was produced by Olas Media Network in San Diego, California. Jessica Garcia serves as general manager. Lena Alvarez is associate producer. Elia Ramos is creative director. JC Polk is executive producer and founding partner and Chad Peace is our president and founding partner. Thank you for listening. Olas Media.